This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. On Disco. It. On it. It's happening. <laughs> Disco. Disco. So, Craig, you know those things on the internet that people make up for likes and for attention and that kind of stuff, and some people gather them up and you get to see them, and it's usually involving, like, you know, a young child that says something way beyond their years, and everyone's like, oh, it's amazing, and it gets, like, 57,000 retweets. You know those things? Yeah, congratulations. Have you posted something along those lines? I wish. Success with it? <laughs> I mean, listen. Uh, uh, that is about 90% of the content online, I, I find, these days. Well, listen, I was I found myself going down a rabbit hole of some of these things and I found one. Now, I'm I'm 99% certain that this is satire and someone completely taking the piss of this kind of subgenre of things, but at okay. the same time, let me be the judge. At the same time, it's exceptional. So, I'm going to read it now. You ready? <clears throat> Need to share. Me and my 6-year-old Charlie were just shopping at Asda and people weren't keeping their distance and staff weren't doing nothing. So, Charlie got out the line and shouted, "Everyone needs to keep 2 meters apart at all times." Then to make me even more proud, he took all the elderly people, that's how it's spelled, out of the line and took them all to the front. A woman in the queue shouted, "We were waiting first. Without thinking, Charlie said, "With respect, ma'am, this disease is taking away our mothers, fathers, grandmothers, grandfathers. We need to do all we can to protect them as they are the most vulnerable and this disease is spreading fast. I am sh- I assure you their lives are more important than your shopping. So think with your head and not your heart and be the change you want to see in the world. Suddenly, you hear people in the queue gasp as they cannot believe that someone of Charlie's age could have so much intelligence and personality. A man in the queue turns around and said to me, your son is going to be the future leader of this country. Charlie overheard and came over and said, excuse me, sir, with respect, I do not want fame or money. My happiness does not come from a job or money. It comes from being the voice 
of the voiceless. I cannot be more proud of my son. I needed to share, not to brag, for awareness. Yeah, rings a bell. Asda, did you say? Kids these days, Craig, that's what I say. Was it in an Asda? Was that... It was in an Asda, yeah. You ever been? Yeah, I was there. Yeah, I can confirm that all happened. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> was that a, like a that had to be a tread right it wasn't like in a fucking notes app thing wasn't it was it? like a facebook Steve. post on some oh it was group. facebook yeah, okay yeah. and of course with facebook you can just write fifty thousand words do whatever you want man it's different times conspiracy theory and yeah, but yeah. i figured it was important uh, to start the show stuff. yeah i figured it was important to start the show with, with, a bit, with a bit of mirth you know a bit of humor because it's going to be a sad one guys hit the music adam My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 227 of the No Encore Music Podcast on the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Craig Fitzpatrick, I believe you got something in the post. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm ready to get into my um, sad boy bag in a little bit, but I'm quite excited. I'm quite upbeat. I'm nervous. I'm tentative. Uh, So I got mail today, um, like like actual mail, like an analog Tom Hanks. And I was holding off on opening it because it could be a big moment in this show's history. Uh, So regular listeners will know that about, how many months is it now? 15 months ago, I ordered some Jay Paul vinyl, which never materialised. Got one update about how he was individually scenting every disc with uh, jasmine petals. Uh, That was around about Christmas. I've been holding tight. Maybe... Maybe 10 months ago, I also ordered some Frank Ocean vinyl, um, two discs. There was there was an update a couple of months ago that stuff might happen. It feels like it's vinyl. It's vinyl shaped, Dave. I'm showing it to you now. What You're you holding it up. It doesn't look big enough to be the size of a full vinyl. It looks quite small. It could be like yeah. a book now, or a CD. Bo- both were kind of single releases, I will say. Actually, yeah, this mightn't be either of them. <laughs> I probably won't, actually. It's but time it's from to- DHL. Oh, okay. Uh, so open it, open it's it, like it, Frank the lead. Who, who are you guessing it's going to be from? I'm going to I'm going to guess Frank. Uh, I think you should open. You need you need to open this in front of the microphone so we can hear the sound, the satisfying okay. sound of on, I need a man opening a wooden package. I'm getting I'm getting my Swiss Army knife. <laughs> Sorry, cardboard package. Oh, you actually ha- you actually carry a Swiss Army knife? I don't carry it around, but I'm in my room. <laughs> I keep it by my bedside in case there's an attacker. Imagine this just destroys the. Hold on a sec. Okay, it's being plied open. This is very exciting. You know, you know all those audio shows that do unboxing on audio only. They're really it's 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 a should big. Should we move market. into YouTube? Should we do? Should we start doing like YouTube reactions? They seem to get like a bazillion views. Irish people do a thing that other people do. Oh, the Troy Channel, yeah. Oh, and Frank takes it. It Here is Frank go. Ocean. Tim Sorry, can Frank I, Ocean. Can I just yeah, say, by the way, that uh, you're the one who just threw shade at the Tri Channel. I was just referring to more general thing. And I'll have you know that some of those people listen to the show and quite like it. So this is your chance to quickly apologise, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most popular one, isn't it? It's the most popular Irish YouTube channel. Yeah, I haven't seen well. it. I'm sure it's great. All right. Yay. Go. Oh my God. Two, two small miniature vinyl Frank Ocean things. Don't so open those. Got... a lot of money. Yeah. Let's see who have I got. Yeah, I've got those two songs that have been on Spotify for four months. <laughs> Which two are they? Um, Dear April and is it in my room? Yeah, so sorted. Nice. J. Paul, your move. 
I felt like I was I felt like I was right there in Christmas morning with you, Craig. But it isn't Christmas. <laughs> it's the end of the summer, I think. And, and it's the time world. For no encore, uh, here we are once again. On this episode, everybody, we're going to review the brand new Bright Eyes album. It's out now as of this podcast dropping. It's a big deal. And I guess, you know, so we were going to do Biffy Clyro. And as yeah. such, we were going to do a different related top five. And then on Monday, we got the Bright Eyes album. So it was like, no, we'll do that instead. Bye-bye, Biffy. So Bright Eyes album, we needed a top five. And I, I messaged you on Monday and I went, it's got to be uh, songs that make you cry, right? And I think you were just so busy that you were like, yeah, fine, whatever. Yeah, fine. <laughs> I didn't really give a proper thought to that evening. And I was like, oh, God, Dave's really got me into it. Like, it was a tough enough week, but now I have to open open myself up to all of these past memories. And it got to a point where I had quite a long shortlist, as I always do. And it came down to me listening to clips over and over again and trying to decide which one made me feel sadder. Like, there was a lot of like, am I on the verge of tears with this one? Okay, I have to move on. That doesn't make the cut. So yeah, you made me sadder this week, David. Now cheer me up, I'm, hopefully. What I'm, what I'm here to do. Uh, well, I'm not going to cheer you up, Craig, but I, I'll, nah. I'll try my best. I'll, I'll just be real with you. And I'll be real with you too, listener. I want to say, as always, thank you so much to anyone who has helped to support the show, particularly since we've gone fully remote in the last, what, fucking five months now? Six months at this stage? Uh, yeah. It's patreon.com no, slash noencore if you would like to help Craig get better at singing Stained songs and uh, help keep the show moving. Uh, on a serious note, it's... um. It's been genuinely fucking necessary because, like, I don't know when we're getting back in the studio. So, <laughs> like, uh, if you love the show, uh, one, tell your friends about it. That'd be great. And two, if you can throw us the price of a pint, uh, less than a substantial meal, I believe, at patreon.com slash no encore. It genuinely will go a long way because, uh, yes, I think we're going to have to upgrade some even more equipment fairly soon. Yeah, like, it will le- legit keep us afloat kind of thing. It's, it's not a question of just, you know what I mean? Like, this has been, like, I don't know when we're getting back into that studio, like, at, at this stage. And I swear to God, every single week, every time I go to, like, turn off Zoom on my Mac, it just makes noises that sound like it's been personally betrayed. So, and given that I don't have a job anymore, Craig, the last thing I want to do is lose this one thing I have yeah. in my life, my friendship with Craig Fitzpatrick. Um, <laughs> well, usually it's me ending the show making noises that sound like I've been personally betrayed. But when the hardware starts doing it, bad news. Let's see. Let's hold off all that to the top five. But first of all, I guess first thing in the news items, uh, the Irish government is an absolute shambles. For more on that, here's one I prepared earlier. In a week in which the Irish government has managed to redefine dreadful communication and in introducing its latest set of COVID-19 related restrictions, the art sector has arguably been treated with either notable contempt or bizarre neglect, depending on how you choose to regard the situation, possibly both. In short, and I will try my best here, as of Thursday evening, the situation appears thus, per a statement issued by the Office of Antishock on Thursday morning, uh, this being the third such statement issued over a period of less than 24 hours, which reads, Following consultation with the Minister of Media, Tourism, Arts, Culture, Sport and the Gale Talked, Catherine Martin, and the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, the following clarification applies to measures introduced with respect to the cultural sector. Businesses and services such as museums, cinemas, theatres and art galleries are deemed to be controlled environments with appropriate protective measures in place such as physical distancing between people. These venues can continue to operate where appropriate physical distancing and all of their protective measures can continue to be maintained. Individual groupings attending these venues must be limited to six people from no more than three households. Overall attendance must adhere to an overall limit of 50 people. All other indoor cultural events are subject to the six-person maximum rule. All outdoor events are subject to the new limit of 15. 
These events are deemed as mass gatherings where there is a concentration of people at a specific location for a specific purpose over a set period of time. These types of events provide opportunities for the virus to spread. And deep breath. I mean, relatively concise. Again, after at least three attempts and an impressively mind-meltingly muddled press conference on Tuesday evening, but you might notice something entirely absent there. Music venues and the immediate fate thereof. I have no idea why it's so difficult for this government to categorically address the status of music venues such as Whelan's, the Workman's Club, the Kino, and many, many others who either already have live gigs occurring or ones booked and sold out for the near future. Like those involved in running those venues, I am baffled as to why this government cannot state plainly one way or another what is and what isn't allowed. But I run a music podcast, not a music venue. Joining me now is Vinny Casey, who you may know from Overhead the Albatross, his own solo project Vance Cass, being the guy who famously bailed out of the very first episode of No Encore at the last minute, and Booker at the aforementioned Workman's Club in Dublin. Hello, Vinny. <laughs> what an introduction. <laughs> Okay, look. Did I bail did I bail on that first one or it, it, that's a, a bigger issue for another day that the government will also have to intervene on. There's but even listen, le- there's even less clarity about that issue, I think. One quick thing just to note before I think yeah, I think they call it the Craven and Gutless Law of 2016. <laughs> one quick thing, right, to note before we talk cuz we are recording this at like half 6 on Thursday evening and it is entirely possible that the situation will change again between now and the podcast arriving early on Friday. Nonetheless, I feel like it's important to give you the microphone and get across your feelings on what has been turned into a genuinely stressful and damaging issue for those working in the arts community of the country over. So simply put, man, what kind of week have you been having? It's been it's been a mind-melting week. Um, it's been highly emotional. Um, it feels... The, pro- the problem that we really have in the art sector is, is not that we don't have clarity, which is obviously the problem, but it's... It's the fact that we don't even factor in to to to, to these press conferences. Um, it's a complete afterthought that 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 seems to be you know not even in any sort of priority list when it comes to to comes to the government. And this is a big industry. There's lots and lots of people who work in the music and arts industries, and it's just always left to us to try and figure it out. And we're the we're the first people who have to who had to stop during this pandemic and 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 now as things start to open back up we're we're still not even being talked directly to which is very very frustrating and I mean, like, at the same time, you have been working pretty hard behind the scenes and the Workman's has been hosting gigs. I mean, I think even last night, rather on Wednesday night, it was the goalpost kept shifting to the point where it looked like the Workman's were potentially, you know, not following the guidelines that they originally set out to do while there was a gig actually occurring on stage, which is fucking insane to have to try and deal with such a thing in real time. And again, it's not like anybody is like standing in front of you telling you this. It's it's journalists on Twitter or it's an interview that was done by someone and then a different one done five hours later by somebody else. I mean, this must be so difficult to even try and get a basic roadmap on. Exactly, yeah. Um, yesterday was, or sorry, Wednesday was was crazy because we had been given pretty, as, as clear as we've been given clarification that we can move ahead with the show. So we're absolutely delighted to do that. RTE News came in and uh, did a short segment uh, interviewing Angela Dorgan just here in the venue. Um, and it went out on the six o'clock news, basically saying that we had gotten clarification that we could go ahead under these new rules that that indoor events in cultural spaces, such as the Workmen's Club, um, could go ahead. 
and the message had entirely flipped by the nine o'clock news. Um, they they using the same footage of the venue. They basically said that they'd been contacted and that they were clearing it up, and that now it wasn't cultural spaces. Um, and obviously, yes, we we had we had a show on stage at the time, and I I'm in my office going, what what is this? What happens here now? Um, we were never going to pull the show uh, or anything like that, but it was like it was just it was just so disheartening because when 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 the, when they originally came out with the statement obviously my phone lit up with emails and texts and and whatsapps from from promoters and bands asking what what are we going to do and i try and make sure that i have all the information before i i go telling anybody anything i don't want to be one of these people and you'll notice from the workman's um social media pages as well i mean we never say oh, oh we're doing this now we're doing that you know i kind of I, the statement i even put out there on thursday yesterday was you know right right up to the last minute the act had arrived at the at this at the venue um he had come all the way from cork and we we had we had waited as long as we could to get clarification um, and, we, and we didn't, so we, we we have to take it upon ourselves to go ahead. And so we didn't want. I mean, when 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 we got that, when I watched the nine o'clock news, or, or rather got sent it, I'm getting people asking me what what is going on here, and I I just didn't know. I just did not know the answer. And so, I mean, going to bed that night because they had flipped from one thing to the other, you're just sure that that's it now. Um, I think it was even you said to me, you know, if if things do change around which I doubt they will and I and I did as well and then to wake up uh, on Thursday morning to that statement basically going back again putting us back into the same position obviously we 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 want to 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 go by the rules and if if the rules are one thing we will go by it but it's this ambiguity that they just throw in there and they just no matter what we do they just w- wouldn't give us clarification on it and just one thing I will say as well when it says when it says um, spaces such as theatres, I mean, yes, the Workman's Club is a music venue, but that's only one part of it. I mean, we have comedy in here t- t- on Sunday night. Um, we have we have drama in here all the time. We have we have cabaret in here all the time. We have loads of different events. It isn't just music. And if that if that isn't a, if that isn't a, a space that's such as theatres, then I, I don't know what it is. Have you directly reached out to anybody, like in the government or any arts officers, if there is such a thing even? What we've done is we've gone through um, the National Campaign for the Arts. That's how we've, that's how we've done it. Um, so we put together, uh, I put together a presentation of basically exactly how we were running the shows in here. I told them um, what kind of events we were putting on. I told them how we were, you know... In, in just in bullet point form that we're taking temperatures at the door that it can only be two or four people at a chair every you don't even you don't even like even even the ordering system you write it down and hand it to the hand it to the to, to the waiter in order to keep things silent to keep things um you know so people aren't leading into each other and stuff like that so we're really taking it really very seriously so I, I put this all together and gave it to the to the national campaign for the arts and they sent it in to the government to get clarification and the government sent us back the same as as an email back. They sent us the same statement that they had sent out, that led to the ambiguity. They said this is our position, which basically to me was like I don't know, figure it out yourself or, or something. Do you know what I mean? Like we want we wanted clarification on on a, on, a, on a piece of on a piece of writing, and they just used the same piece of writing in order to clarify it. 
Yeah, so basically just like a like a blanket template that we'd probably seen doing the rounds ourselves and Ex- kind of exactly. the press releases. Exactly, uh, exactly. So yeah. essentially, right, if you found yourself with an audience, I guess, in front of either Catherine Martin or Stephen Donnelly or somebody like, you know, at the top of the fucking ladder, what kind of message do you have for them directly from your point of view? And from, I guess, you know, I mean, I know you can't speak for all the other promoters in the country, but at the same time, you are operating at a high end level in Dublin. You've been associated with this venue for as long as I've known you. I know, I know like so much, like anyone who knows you, Vinny, knows how much you care about music and how passionate you genuinely are. That's, that's yeah. just the genuine truth of it. So I, I, I got to figure this has been difficult. I, I, I'd be surprised if you didn't take this quite personally. You know, it's, it's a very yeah, tough thing on, on anyone's mental health, but I, again i mean like as someone who i would associate with live music and the workmen's and just the arts like what would you say to anyone who could potentially influence change i would i i would want to i would want to talk to them on a bigger on a bigger scale and just be like and just tell them to think of us just please think of us we're we're out here working so hard every day and there's so many people who you know i've been in the workmen's 10 years if i was in another job for 10 years i'd probably be making 150 grand or something do you know what I mean we do this because we love it so much and then to to not even be factored into things is heartbreaking it really really is Um, and especially when it comes to to the artists themselves who are putting so much of themselves into this music and I mean that was that was a big reason that we wanted to get open again we're not making money from these these shows Um, like this isn't this isn't a financial decision this is you know, fifty cap shows in, in the workmen's isn't making anyone rich. Um, we just want, we just, it's, and and the thing is, the call to open the place is is mine. You know, I know we're part of a bigger company, but it's it's me that makes these calls. And I just wanted to get artists back on the stage and just start getting things, just trying to get things moving along again when it comes to the music industry. And so many people said when 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 we put out that first statement that. It was a it was a light at the end of the tunnel. One one friend in particular said it to me yesterday. A friend of mine, Colum, who works in the it works in the in the tech industry, said it was like seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. And that's 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 so important for people because we're just lost here. We're floating, and it's it's just heartbreaking. What do you put that down to? I mean, like there, it's. I always find it strange. I've said it before on the show many times that. You know, the Irish government do a great job of selling Ireland to tourists by, you know, invoking the arts and the culture and the poets and the dreamers and the dancers and everything. And yet when it comes to any kind of support, especially in the situation when actually it feels like your nose is being rubbed in the dirt, it's a case of like, ah, well, look, you know, that's not really a real job, is it? When, of course, as we know, it really fucking is. Yeah, it's it, that is funny. Like the first thing you think about when you think of Ireland and first thing people say about it, you know, it's real, we're the land of, of, of the poets, you know, and um I, I just think they see it as a hobby. I just think that's the way they see it. I mean, even the, even the, when the when the when the government's alluding to the fact that people could just retrain and do other things, like what would you like? You wouldn't say that to to an accountant. You'd say get an accountancy job somewhere else or something. Do, do you know what I mean? It's not like it's not like you can just all of a sudden not be a professional in in the music industry. Um, and that's what I think it's down to. I think they just see it as. As, as a hobby for people. So I guess lastly, on a positive note, um, 
and like hopefully this this doesn't get changed or anything but you did put out a statement a little while ago saying as it stands we're going to go ahead with shows in our venue we're moving cautiously ahead in the presumption that we will be allowed to proceed with future events in the space which i think is all you can do really i mean especially based on just the complete inconsistencies and contradictions that are going on but for anybody who hasn't kind of been paying attention to the return of live gigs in the form that they are in you've hosted a few now and how have they been for you like what what is your kind of you know feeling been in the room or just even the way it looks for it i've seen some photographs it looks very spaced out and safe to me and i guess it's obviously huge for the artists themselves to be able to get on that stage again honestly it's been magical i mean alton conlon was that was the perfect uh artist to, to start it off with he, he 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 went into the space and he's such a great storyteller and such a great songwriter that he had people laughing one minute and, and in tears the next with his music and it's just we, we have the way that the venue is set up we've had loads of shows like this in the past um a kind of cabaret spaced apart kind of thing although obviously it's a bit more spaced apart than it was then and it's an amazing pose people love like, it's, it's, it's a beautiful sense of community inside that room even even when it's spaced out it's just it's, it's a lovely place to, to watch a show and I mean everyone who's coming in we we want we don't want people to just feel safe. We want people to to be safe. So we're checking temperatures on the way in. There's hand sanitizer everywhere. Um, it's only table service. People don't even leave their table unless they're going down to the toilet. And it's it's you feel safe. And and I think people for a little while when they're watching these shows just forget about the world and they forget about the pandemic and they they can just be lost in music again. And that's that's the magic of it. And that's why it's so important. Awesome, man. Well, listen, thanks for taking the time. I know even now when I'm talking to you, like you're you're rushing around. I know you've had a crazy day as well. And look, listen, I mean, we need stuff like this in the world right now. I don't understand why people are trying to suppress it. So uh, keep fighting the good fight, brother. And thank you so much for taking the time today. Thanks for having me, man. Well, Craig, you were very quiet there during that entire segment. What's wrong? I was messing around with my Swiss Army knife. Um, I've got more packages. I'll be opening them all day. <laughs> Good to hear Vinny's voice. I haven't heard him much of, of late. Uh, great to see him on the news. Oh, yeah, listen, we always knew he'd the end boy's up there famous. someday. <laughs> he is. On the subject of packages and posts, though, I mean, I guess this was a fairly undramatic situation. Your postman just delivered this and then you never got to have any kind of human interaction. But what yes. would you do, Craig, if you walked into the post office one day only to be met by... A legendary, iconic Sean, Sean... I was going to say Sean Toos, but that's a really sexist word, so we're not going to do that. <laughs> Save the segment, Craig. It's, it's Cher. Cher. It's Cher. <laughs> you don't need any descriptors for Cher. She just is Cher. It's one word, uh, one name. Probably difficult to get posts to her, I would imagine, if that's the case, ironically enough. But yeah, Cher um, wants to save the US post office by volunteering, but no one apparently will help her. Uh, so she's been online quite a lot, like the rest of us. Um, and she's very concerned with the situation with the um, US Postal Service. Are you aware of these developments, Dave? So essentially, of course, they have a big election coming up. Um, a lot of the Democrats are trying to get people to vote by post um, because, of course, there'll be untold problems with actual stations and the COVID situation. Um, problem is the Postal Service in the US is completely underfunded. Surprise, surprise. Um, they're in need of like $25 billion in financial aid, which is being withheld by President Donald Trump, who is, I guess, cynically trying to hope that people don't vote by post and people that are desperate to see a change don't have that avenue. Um, so Cher's trying to make it so. She's been posting a lot um, digitally. She's been talking about the 
the Postal Service from its genesis um, by First Postmaster General Benjamin Franklin. Did you know that? 1775. I knew that, yeah. He could. Did you? I think so. <laughs> you said it really confidently, so I'm going to say fair play. I mean, and listen, Craig, to- <laughs> when, it, when it comes to, you know, trivia, quizzes, that kind of thing, I think we all know. Oh my God, I'm so good at quizzes. <laughs> Phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Thanks, Adam. Um, so, yeah, celebrities have been encouraging people to vote, but yeah, Cher's gone one better. So essentially, um, she wants to get in, go for the hands-on approach. Uh, she tweeted out, can people volunteer at the post office? Um, before detailing her struggle over the phone, right? So she says, okay, calls two post offices in Malibu. They were polite. I said, hi, this is Cher. And I would like to know if you ever take volunteers. Lady said, she didn't know. And gave me the number of her supervisor. Dave, how would you react if you got a... Hi, this is Cher, and I would like to know if you ever take volunteers at the post office. Here's the number for my supervisor. Next, please. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd be pretty freaked out. I'd be like, totally baffled. How's it going? Um, you've done lots of things. Yeah, well, the why, supervisor was. Why are you pivoting <laughs> to public service now? <laughs> like... <laughs> the supervisor was much the same. So Cher says, "I called and said, hi, this is Cher. Why is she leading with that constantly?" Talk about the like mechanics of the process and then get into this and I'm actually quite well known. Just ease them into it, I think. But anyway, she says, do you accept volunteers? No, all caps. Need fingerprints and background check, which I guess is what you demand to, to um, verify that it was Cher. People have been suggesting stuff. Can she like donate to mail sorters? Uh, can she register as a poll worker? Can she design a stamp collection? I'm for all of these things. I did work in the post office once, Dave, for How a was week. it? Did you enjoy it? There's a stereotype, I guess, particularly about American postal workers, that, you know, it's all a bit scary and attracts a damaged mind. How would you feel about that? Like Kevin Costner at the end of the world kind of thing? Uh, I think it's more like gunmen and stuff, but I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to the, you know, unfair American television and media depiction thereof, not a statement I'm actually making. I'm sure most post people are actually very well adjusted and sound. I've, yeah, I've quite a lot of family that went through the, the Dublin post office <laughs> over the years. Uh, you, <laughs> as, you may recall. I, the ghost story, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my godmother who once saw a ghost um, when she was on the job. I don't know what that says. Yeah, but I did a I did like a Christmas shift to get some uh, extra pocket money when I was about 17. And it was like overnight in the sorting office at Christmas. And I had pretty bad flu going to work anyway, pre-COVID times. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of like carrying stuff at like four in the morning and nearly collapsing. The people were nice. The people were very, very nice, Dave. I'm glad to hear. Uh, someone who I don't know if is nice. There's a sentence for you. Uh, someone who I have my doubts about would be Jamie Spears, the father of Britney Spears, yeah. who is at the centre of a news story that I left out of the running order, but Craig threw it back in there. So here we go. What's well, going on? We've kind of talked about it before. It's there's a very a lot of delicate. Yeah, going. It's, it's like yeah, it's, it's a del- delicate one. I mean, like, essentially, like, there's there's a definitely, there's a movement online of Britney Spears fans, and I guess not just Britney Spears fans, but people who are genuinely concerned for her welfare. She's in a situation where her father has control of her conservatorship, which is essentially yeah. her personal and professional life. He basically runs it like a manager, and he yeah. has been ill. Someone else has been doing it in his stead. He's now able to resume, and she is filing a motion for that not to happen. There's a lot of, you know, like Free Britney and people alleging that based on some of her communications on Instagram and so on, that she's actually signaling people that she's in a kidnap situation. We don't know. We're not stating that at all. It's clearly uh, uh, very complicated and I'm not going to cast any kind of aspersions or make any sweeping statements here. I am pro Britney Spears. I think that she has been 
unfairly for many many years destroyed by the media and has clearly had a long-term effect on her and i don't know enough about this kind of thing in terms of the ins and outs of it but it's grim and clearly doesn't seem correct i mean the idea of like if she's a sound body in mind which she appears to generally be the idea that like there's someone living like controlling her her life i I just find really baffling I, i find the story too kind of upsetting to really Go down that rabbit hole. Have you found yourself looking up a million different Wikipedia pages and like vulture articles? Yeah, let me take care of all this and clear it up, Dave. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> man. Unequivocally, black and white, what's going on? Um, no, I feel the same. It's it's a really kind of sad story all around. Um, no matter what the kind of uh, people's intentions are behind the scenes and stuff, it's not a great situation for Britney Spears. Um, but it would seem that... Um, and, you know, we should point out Jamie Spears has said all the conspiracy theorists don't know anything. The world don't have a clue. And yeah, I mean, you know, people online are just guessing at stuff. So we don't know. Um, but it would seem that, first of all, yeah, he's in control. He's been in control of her financial stuff. What I didn't realize was that he also calls the shots in terms of like when she can actually see her kids. Like it's that far reaching. Um, and he hasn't been in that position for a while, as you say, due to ill health. And essentially now the, the kind of new submission is for the uh, basically professional conservator um, to continue the job they're doing. Um, and basically what Britney's camp seems to be saying is that this has to be changed substantially to reflect major changes in her current lifestyle and her stated wishes. And that would appear to be that she doesn't want to tour whatsoever right now. She doesn't want to do, do any kind of performances. She doesn't want to kind of work and put herself under that pressure, um, which implies that for a long time, maybe she was feeling that pressure uh, for from the people that were making decisions for her. Um, so that's a weird position to be in where... Maybe people are, you know, financially gaining from you working and ha- in a position to control you seeing your kids and you're not in a position to want to work. So fingers crossed um, she gets her wishes on this one and the current situation can continue um, where it's a professional kind of taking care of it, someone that you hope is objective and non-biased. And people are kind of saying, oh, I wonder why she's not trying to terminate the whole thing immediately. Um, but I guess there'd be more kickback to that. Um, it says in the submission that they expect Jamie Spears to kind of fight this. So it's not a kind of harmonious situation whatsoever. But of course, one we hope is resolved. And yeah, you know, we've talked about it a lot over the months and years and um, just wish her the very, very best. Really awful situation. Let's move on to a story about a Swedish record store for mice. Dave. I was going to say, if she gets the opportunity to just go all freewheeling and see the world and do whatever she wants, this should be on her list, right? It really should. So um, this is the latest project from Anonymous, uh, a Malmo-based art collective that have installed several miniature buildings imagined for mice in Sweden and other European countries since 2016. Um, it's making our running order because, why Dave? Because it's a tiny vinyl emporium. Yay! It's called, it's called Ricotta Records, which is adorable. Um, and if visitors look closely enough, they'll be able to see an array of miniature vinyl for sale including a special rodent-themed version of NWA's Straight Outta Compton. I don't know what that means. Maybe, like, it's kind of rats on the cover. And Joni Mitchell's Blue. Again, not sure. Because there's other vinyl releases that kind of get into punning territory, which is where I start to lose interest. Destiny's Cheese. Doesn't, doesn't work. work. Bruce Benwood. What? <laughs> is Benwood a type of cheese? And is that, is he... that Bruce Springsteen? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> That's so lazy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, w- we'll have to confirm if Spenwood's a type of cheese, but surely Steve Winwood would be closer than Springsteen. Win- Winamare Houston also, like, have some respect for the dead. Have a bit you? of respect. 
There's also a selection of miniature-sized posters. Example, Cat Stevens. Hey. I mean, that writes itself, doesn't it? Um, they've, been, they've been speaking to the enemy, which still exists um, as a thing <laughs> online. Anonymous have said they wanted to bring a little bit of everyday magic to children and pedestrians passing by and hopefully inspire some to change their own street for the better. Um, so yeah, I guess some musical businesses and ventures thriving in miniature form. We can only say... Fair play. I also, guess. also Whatever. thriving is our is our beloved sonic architect Adam, who suggested Dead Rat Mouse. Stevens and Dead Mouse. No, Dead, Dead, Mouse. Mouse. Dead Mouse is already a thing. <laughs> also, his headgear is way too big for that shop. He's not getting in. Uh, you mentioned Bruce Spenwood, but uh, his alter ego, <laughs> I did, Dave. Bruce Springsteen, uh, has been taking over the airwaves. I think he took over like uh, a, a radio show that's He's got about a series on Sirius XM. Yeah. yeah, I think it's like him doing his kind of like um, this is the story of my life told true records you know kind of way fair enough um he's lavished praise on lana del rey who recently put out a spoken word album that no one listened to and is gearing up to put out a real album that people will listen to in a few weeks time and he has described her as one of america's best living songwriters would you agree craig um i would agree now in fairness he was playing the song american which um actually has the springsteen reference the line goes springsteen is the king don't you think i was like hell yeah that guy can sing so Springsteen is just, you know, doing his self-deprecating thing after record and being like, oh, she's a name-checking some guy from New Jersey in there. I'm not sure who. Hey, yeah, uh, he's, he's a big fan. A, he's, he's, he likes the fact she's from Lake Placid, which apparently he summered in quite a lot with his kids and apparently is a real place. Yeah. Terrifying name. Not just a horror film series. They made like four yeah. or five of those, I think. Um, but he goes on to say that um, Lana is simply one of the best songwriters in the country as we speak. She just creates a world of her own and invites you in. So a big favour of mine, the lovely Lana Del Rey. Oh, got, a no. bit, got a bit partridge there at the end, didn't he? Like, he's, in his, he's in his what, late 60s at this point. I feel like every man in their late 60s has to include the lovely something. It's very close um, to who's that man with the beautiful voice. It's Annie Lennox. Like, it's, it's a little bit like that kind of territory. But no, it's nice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in fairness, I mean, like, it's not the first time he's talked about being a fan. And she has, I mean, I think, you know, particularly with the last album, she has begun to be elevated in that kind of pantheon of great American songwriters. Yeah. And we love that album. I hope the new one's good. I guess Dude, we'll there was a lot of um, there was a lot of Lana influences on the new Taylor Swift album as well. I mean, she's mm-hmm. you know she's really made her mark, um, which was a good album as, as well. And actually, I enjoyed those kind of influences seeping in. It just dawned on me that like as much as I love Springsteen's music, I don't really know what he's into musically, and I'm not sure I would take his recommendations overall as like I don't know if he's the guy that like he's like you got to check out this band and then it's a great band or it's just like a kind of pug like a kind of pub rock combo i don't know maybe i'm doing him a disservice but do you reckon springsteen's got good taste overall apart from his own stuff like i don't know if he's uh if he's a michael imperioli but i guess we'll find out uh, adam by the way has clarified that spenwood is indeed a cheese so we can sleep yeah, easy be. tonight connor oberst who we're going to be talking about fairly soon has also thrown out some praise to the 1975 in a roundabout way in a new interview with also the enemy you're getting good value for your non-subscription there craig this week well done <laughs> and the dig as well i feel bad now he was asked about um you know like what was his opinion about the 975 and the influence that they have apparently drawn? He said, I don't hear a lot in common between our bands, but what I like about the 975 is that they're also weirdly genreless. They have radio pop songs and oh, they sound like a punk rock band. It confuses me, but I like that. They're willing to be many different bands in one. I think we probably have that in common. Asked why so many millennial musicians have been attracted to Bright Eyes' work over the years, 
Ober said, I really can't speak for them and what they see in our music. <laughs> yeah, I love him just shutting it down. <laughs> it's a very Robert De Niro he, response yeah, there. He was saying as well that um, he recently met the lovely Matty Healy. Um, hey. and <laughs> That he's really cool. That was part of his podcast for, I think, The Face magazine. Did you listen to any of those? He was like, he was talking to Stevie Nicks, um, Brian Eno. I checked out the Brian Eno one. It wasn't really doing much for me, but... I didn't know um, because I was, I mean, I wasn't bowled over by the 975 album by comparison to some of the previous ones. And I was also, uh, it was yet another round of me trying to get an interview and I didn't get one. So I was like, well, the last thing I'm going to do now is check out other interviews he's doing because I'm a spiteful human being. Um, essentially, that's a little bit about Conor Oberst. We're going to talk about him and Bright Eyes in depth. But before that, I want to just I want to just like try and put something to bed here because there's been some debate recently about what constitutes summer and what represents autumn and so on. And personally, yes. I'm not getting involved, but I will say that it won't be long before those dark, cold evenings are upon us again. It might be time for a suitable podcast for companies such as, I don't know, this one? Once upon a time. Fireside is the Irish storytelling podcast. Every week we breathe new life into old stories from folklore and mythology, from the mysterious landing of the old Celtic gods to the epic wars fought by Cúchulainn and Queen Maeve, right down to the petty squabbles between headstrong mortals and roguish fairies. We already have a huge collection available with a new episode every Wednesday. This is not just a podcast for folklore fiends, but for anyone who enjoys a good story. And who doesn't love a good story? My name is Kevin C. Olan, and I am your host and your fireside bard. Wherever you are in the world, you can always join me by the fireside. All right, so yeah, listen, time to talk about Bright Eyes. Bright Eyes, back with their first album in nine years. I read a lot of stuff this week about Bright Eyes. Um, one of the things I read, Craig, was in Vulture magazine, and it was kind yeah. of a profile slash interview, and I thought the closing segment of it kind of got me a little bit, and like I, I think it actually might add as a good lead into this. So this says, Today, Indian emo music are less signifiers of white dudes afraid of their feelings and more an umbrella for all musicians to express different kinds of sadness. In 2020, someone can call Drake emo and be taken seriously. Perhaps what makes Bright Eyes feel timeless is that its music has never felt exclusively tied to white male angst. Oberst compares his songs to composite sketches. There obviously is an autobiographical bent because I'm the one writing, he says, but I always think that the pronoun doesn't matter that much. If I'm singing he, she, I, or you, that's not really the gist of the lyric. In a sense, all the band's music is about some kind of internal terror. Life is strange and frightening no matter who you are, and it's weird to have feelings. Bright Eyes songs, especially when you're a certain age, sound as grandiose and all-consuming as your first heartbreak, and they work in good times and bad. Heartache hurts when you're 22 and when you're 42. A Bright Eyes song will age with you. Now, I thought that was quite lovely. For balance, though, I did reach out to a friend of the show and I did ask them, hey, what do you think about Bright Eyes? And their response was, I hate him. Overrated emo trash. And with that in mind, here is a song called Mariana Trench from the new Bright Eyes record. It's called Down in the Weeds Where the World Once Was. Look up at the Everest. Look down in the Mariana Trench. Look now as the crumbling for Yep, 
Grant, Bright Eyes, Back, 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 Mariana Trench from, as you say, Down in the Weeds, where the world once was. Um, title with a comma that trips off your tongue. Wonder are they like hoping to invoke the classic likes of um, Wide Awake, It's Morning. Um, what was the lifted subtitle was uh, The Stories in the Soil, so keep your ear to the ground. Um, more optimistic titles there for sure. Um, so yeah, first album in nearly a decade. The big question for me was kind of what they're hoping to invoke with this Bright Eyes return. It's interesting you kind of started talking about different people's perception of what they are. Um, I guess Bright Eyes as a band um, began and I always considered them to be like a vehicle for Conor Oberst first and foremost, right? Uh, so he's now seen as like the folk emo prince of the 21st century. He's, you know, or now maybe the king, the likes of Matty Healy and Phoebe Bridgers lavish praise upon and the case of Bridgers collaborate with. Um, another kind of once upon a time, New Dylan, I guess. Um, and yeah, he became very politicised, I think, around 2004, that kind of quaint seeming US election now. when he had stuff like when the president talks to God and... Um, it was very strident, like a lot of fire, fury, unvarnished lyricism, um, kind of naked honesty that verged on cringy for me sometimes. Um, but the narrative around this return is very much Bright Eyes, the band, right? So alongside um, Oberst, you have two multi-instrumentalists. Um, you have Mike Mogus, um, who's also from Nebraska, New York guy, uh, Nate Walcott. They've been in the background for a long time, nearly from the get-go, but I guess they came up board officially maybe when Bright Eyes had plateaued somewhat um, maybe morphed into a more sophisticated um, proposition than the singular sound that Connor Oberst made his name with and I guess considering like Connor's been fairly prolific with other bands and his own solo output um, the aforementioned Better Oblivion Community Centre with Phoebe Bridgers the question becomes what are we returning to with the Bright Eyes banner um and getting those guys back on board, even though they've been working with them on, you know, stuff under various names. So what we're getting here is like lots of chamber pop um, music that's, you know, like widescreen cinematography for Oberst's like wordy scripts. Um, they got back together 2017, I think, at Christmas party um, where they phoned, uh, two of them phoned Mogus from the bathroom at a Christmas party. And they, they've wanted this album to be like as, as much like a tree-headed monster, I think the quote is, as possible for the first time ever. Um, Flea and John Theodore um, as the rhythm section as well, but they've really made an effort to collaborate on every single song. What did you make of their efforts, Dave? I think it does come across that way yeah. in some respects. Um, in as much as like, I think Conor Oberst is such a singular, I guess, frontman so associated with Bright Eyes, so associated with his own style and the influence that he had. And yes, the quote-unquote New Dylan thing, which one of the articles I read this week did know that they were like, you know, I mean, like, that was kind of forced upon him by, like, it's it's impossible to even pin it down to one person. It became its own kind of meme at a totally. time. Like, like, like it, it was never something that he, you know, wore as a badge of honour or discredit or anything. It was just one of those constructions. Um, so I think it's very hard to get past Conor Oberst as Conor Oberst in both good ways and bad. And I am a Bright Eyes fan. Um, I think that, you know, one of the things I really enjoyed doing this week off the back of this album was that I I went and made a playlist of like my favourite Bright Eyes songs and, you know, I tried to sequence it in such a way that it would kind of flow and represent, you know, most of what I know. And Dave, what I don't wrote. you mean a mixtape? <laughs> That's probably fair, yeah. Um, and I did, in fact, send it to a girl. So here's the thing, right? I think ultimately... Um, 
I love the bright eyes that I love. And yeah, it can be a bit much. It can be very overwrought. It can be, you know, very heart in the sleeve kind of stuff, but that's kind of what I'm attracted to. But I can totally understand why somebody would have the reaction that I gave before we threw into the the audio there. Um, He's either for you or he's not. Generally, he is for me. So I do find it hard to break it down to its constituent parts and say that this feels more like, you know, more or less than this Bright Eyes album or that Bright Eyes album. But I do think that, you know, you kind of mentioned like the idea of like, I'm not even sure if you use the word colours there, but the photographs that the band have taken for this album, their promo shots are very colourful, very almost Animal Collective-like in a way. And this album to me feels like if Animal Collective made a pop album and made an album that focused on kind of more conventional structures and their songs, uh, I think it's really good. I think it's, it sounds fucking huge at times. Yeah. Like It sounds massive in places, like horn sections and big kind of rhythms. Um it does sound like the kind of album that Conor Burst would make when he's 42 years of age, has gone through a divorce, has lost people in his life. He's been yeah. through other trauma. I mean, we won't get into the weeds too much on this one, but he was falsely accused of rape at one stage in the last kind of seven or eight years, which had a massive impact on his life, as you can imagine. But he's always been very kind of quick to say, listen, I don't want to be the focal point for the justification of, you know, a, a group that would demean women or try and, you know, make out that this isn't a thing because it is. And even with like the album existing now, he was like, like the pandemic, of course, has changed everything to the point where I don't know if um, I think the line was something like, he goes, I don't know if like a Bright Eyes album is anything to really get excited about now at this point. I still think it is. Nine years ago, The People's Key was the last album that came out. And I recall around the time that there was certainly a, a high level of inevitable, well, this band is going on hiatus. This is probably the end of the project. He went off and did other stuff. And I remember I was in college, Craig, and I remember reviewing The People's Key for uh, the arts magazine. And I remember it was like five in the morning in my gaff and I was stoned and I was drunk and I gave it five stars. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this, right? It's not a five star album. It's probably closer to a two. Um, this one is significantly better. He sounds in full voice. He sounds like someone who's got a lot more life under the collar, good and bad. His ex-wife, who he says is still his best friend, is present on the opening track, which is more yeah. one of those kind of, I mean, opening track. It's one of those typical Bright Eyes short stories. I think Stereo Gum and their excellent premature evaluation this week said that it's it's one of those bright eyes things that you listen to once and then never listen to again For sure. uh, which i don't know how fair that is but uh, maybe you do but i mean ultimately um it does kind of flow as one big mood piece um i think whether you're on board with it or not it depends on how you feel about bright eyes going in it's probably not going to win you over but at this stage given everything that's gone on in their lives and as an act at this stage of their career I was just glad to hear what they had to say and I was on board with the vast majority of it. Yeah, and I think you're right in terms of that Animal Collective reference. It does feel ambitious. They you know, they, they get experimental. They're not afraid to become one more and um I think it's a testament to Ober's songwriting that that's always like it's it, the stuff he feeds the band is consistently good. Um I think one of the fellas um were saying that listen, there's always a strong melody, there's always an underpinning that's really strong there that we can come back to. And you hear that time and time again here. Um, without it ever seeming like his written stuff is meat and potatoes. Like he'll push the envelope as well. You say, you know, maybe slightly over the top, and is this the, does the world need this right now? It's definitely on point. I mean, obviously recorded before um the current situation, but like they've talked about the album title being this thesis about um, global apocalyptic level anxiety. So it's right on time. Um, And they do tap for me um, more into maybe the Casadega era, which was a lot of that kind of, you know, strings heralding the end of the world um, type of approach. 
um, certainly more so in that kind of line of things than their previous records. And there's, you know, some of maybe possibly my favourite and a little slept on uh, Digital Ash and a Digital Urn. There's some of that kind of cold, electrical kind of winter grit to it, which I think keeps it on track and keeps keeps you kind of guessing at points. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's an album where they've got the band back together. As you say, Connor's lost uh, a lot of things over the years, um, some way worse and more serious than others. But this is about like trying to find kind of stuff from the wreckage, maybe from the, you know, overgrowth. Uh, finding maybe unrecognisable stuff of value from the dirt. And I think musically, uh, they do that quite a lot. There was a quietest piece um, where he was talking about the album as a casserole buffet. Um, And yeah, it does sound like that. Like they talk about, they signpost the kind of bits they're picking from each album, like the 70s folk of Wide Awake, the digital stuff, I guess, of Digital Ash and the kind of orchestral stuff of Casadega. So they have talked about like that tree-headed monster for the first time ever trying to be like self-conscious about um, referencing themselves and digging around. But I don't think that that becomes redundant. I don't think it's stale because it's such a jumble that it, it works. And I think their experience as musicians mean they'll always kind of put in something to to kind of catch you off guard or stop things getting a bit listless at times. Some of it can be very heavy and thematically there's a lot of stuff that it could get mired in and weigh, it could get weighed down. But I actually think they keep a pretty um, fleet of foot. Um, they introduce new elements all the time, whether it's, you know, like their use of choirs is not just your standard kind of well-produced stuff. It's like being fed through an AM radio, which is cool. Um, it's, yeah, it's a real mishmash of stuff. Um, and for Oberst, he's a different dude now, totally. Um he still does the occasional on-the-nose stuff. Yeah, the opener is totally listened to once and then maybe don't come back to. Just because it's like a, you know, a ragtag kind of jazzy, not that listenable thing. It sets the scene really well. And I think with the closer, it like it closes the loop really well. Um, So it works for that kind of concept overall. But yeah, he can be on the nose. You know, there's stuff about like, you know, closing bell tolls and, you know, market crashes and nods to wiretapping and you get all of that. But I think he's less strident than he used to be. Like right from Dance and Sing, which is the first proper song, I guess you could say, he's talking about just getting on with things, I guess, just finding the value in like life as it is and like just kind of dancing through everything. And he comes back to that quite a lot. Like he's, he doesn't want, he doesn't have all the answers anymore. He's not that kind of precocious youngster. I think that suits him really well as well. And his voice as well is aged beautifully. It's, it's like, it's still that kind of high thing, but there's some gravel there. And when he kind of, like Mariana Trench, there's a, there's a line on the chorus where um, he basically, it's like a, I don't know, it's, it's talking about showing kind of true, there's true grit in his voice and it's, uh, you feel the years and all the kind of experiences and it feels like he's earned it, whereas on the early records it felt slightly precocious. And the, band's help, the band helps him with that as well. They're just working really well together in tandem. So yeah, I think, if you're a Bright Eyes fan, um, this is a new version of Bright Eyes. They've kind of almost been retconned as this like united band that I don't know if they ever were. And again, as I say, it's more kind of Casadega, not quite classic um, Bright Eyes territory. It's not very I'm wide awake. It's not very lifted. Um, but I think it's maybe the Bright Eyes we need at the moment. Like the romantic me is like, listen, yeah, um, Conor Oberst is releasing stuff off his own back for sure, but maybe he felt like the world needs to hear from Bright Eyes. Do you know what I mean? It's not about the personal stories. It's what Bright Eyes could maybe stand for and represent for people. And 
Um, actually, their new label, Dead Oceans, uh, talked them into that um, that photo shoot you were talking about, which I think works really well. But the band were saying just like they were not going for it initially, and they were saying, "What are we?" They were given a choice between like pink pastel colored suits or yellow, and they're like, "Well, what's behind door number three? But actually, it works really well. Um, and the label picked the first single, which I think worked really well. And the label has said, you can do another album if you want. And they're like, okay. And I think that would work really well as well. So I think this kind of retconning of Bright Eyes um, is giving us, it's re-emphasizing what really made them great. And for me, this, as a fan, this totally, totally works. Yeah. I mean, like in that regard, I think a lot of it comes down to how big the record sounds and how much polish there is on it, but not in a bad way. I mean, like... It would have been very easy to be like, here's 14 scratchy acoustic guitar songs. And, you know, he's done that before. He's done it well. He'll do it again. <laughs> like, and it's, not like it's, not like it's not like they're not here, but yeah. there is an element of like, I think producing something quite cohesive and almost cinematic at times. I mean, I could see a lot of this working with like with visuals. And I think that there's, I don't know, like it sounded quite natural to me. It didn't sound like, well, here we go. New label. Cause like that ocean says like Phoebe Bridges, it's clearly a very indie leaning label, who, which I guess I don't know the inner workings of it, but by the sense of it, it wants to work with creative artists of a certain renown and either build them up or bring them back uh, to a certain level, at least based on the two acts I've mentioned there. I, I need to do a bit more of an audit than the one that I've done, Craig. But I'll <laughs> say this, I feel like simultaneously Bright Eyes could have been like fuck it man let's just you know let's do the 1975 thing let's go pop let's go let's let, let's talk about smartphones and I know I agree with you that like Connor Burst has always been as likely to drop an incredible couplet that stops you in your tracks as one that you're like uh, are you reading the fucking Financial Times last night mate do you know what I mean like it's like fine but that's also part of his charm I think he does get away with it and I yeah. do think that the the unit here I mean like also the fact that you, like, you mentioned it in passing and people might have been like wait hang on really like Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers is here I guess through his association with Nate Walcott who I believe was kind of getting out of the musical game and then was asked to go play a couple of gigs with them and go on tour and found himself doing it for a year and a half so obviously you can call on your friends you can call on bigger names but like it's not like you get a fucking a ridiculous funk bass solo yeah there's not providing... much flat bass whatsoever you'll no, be, it's just you'll good, all be glad it, to hear it's good grounding you mentioned earlier on that it was heavy i found it quite a enjoyable experience i mean maybe it's just the times we're in but I. oh yeah I, I think they make it enjoyable i think it's very digestible um i i meant more so in terms of like as a concept it's quite a long record you're kind of going into it and lyrically you know where connor's going to go so it could be it's, it's very heavy and kind of lofty in terms of subject matter but no they make it totally work uh, it feels kind of fresh yeah, it has that kind of Hamilton Lighthouse thing of like, I've aged, I've lived, I've I've led lives. I've laughed, and I've loved. <laughs> I, I, I've sang, I've danced, I've cried. Um, but it's about looking forward and kind of being like, okay, cool, can't go back. You know, let's see what we can do, what's, what's coming up. And I guess there is a quote from one of the guys, I think it's Mike Mogus. And he's talking about how like they were, you know, detailing some of the lyrics and some of the songs and some of the ideas. And I think he kind of trails off himself mid-sentence and he's like, yeah, you know, there definitely was a little bit of trying to rein Connor in on the whole, I want to fucking kill myself thing. Um, And Connor Roberts himself has been frank about, you know, how he sees life. And there obviously is a certain level of, there's a certain level of precariousness for everybody. And I think artists in particular will always, not always, but often lean on that kind of stuff and draw it out with them. And you could, you could put Bright Eyes in a very depressing box. I wouldn't. I mean, I do get the glass half full thing with him a lot of the time. I think he's very good at conjuring up darkness, but I do think that he manages to plant just enough of an escape route for himself at the best of times. And on this album, it's a solid return to form. And I don't mean that in like a faint praise way. I really like this album. I think it's an 8 out of 10. 
Yeah, I'd give it a, a strong eight, maybe 8.5. Um, and in terms of reining him in, um, whatever about his kind of his mindset and his lyrical content, I'd said about the Better Oblivion album that I really enjoyed the fact kind of Phoebe Bridgers did some of that reining in and just kind of counterbalanced him really well. Her parts were all great. His parts when he appeared then were fantastic. And flippantly at the time, I was like, yeah, maybe I'm like, I, I kind of prefer him in small doses. He is not reined in musically here by the band whatsoever. I think he indulges the full Bright Eyes sound and actually it really works. And it, the quality of the material is such that I was wrong. I, I don't I don't actually just need him like half on an album or to be, you know, have a producer going, oh, Connery should go in this direction uh, or a collaborator. He just kind of needs these guys and he'll make 8.5 out of 10 albums. Keep it up, mate. <laughs> It's Bright Eyes, it's Down in the Weeds where the world once was, and it's out now. Go check it out. Next week on the show, The Killers and Imploding the Mirage. You excited? I am, yeah. I have a soft spot for Killers. I don't know what the hell we're going to get. I'm going to steer clear of reviews and all that, but uh, yeah, I'm excited. We're getting 10 tracks, man, which is a good start. We're getting 10 (laughs) tracks. Are we going to reveal our top five for next week as well? Because it's pretty much nailed on, right? Yeah, go on, do it. Okay, so it's going to be fictional bands and artists. Of course, Dave, because the Killers took their name from the fictional band in a New, or- a New Order video um, all those years ago and very much outgrew it. So yeah, uh, it's thematically sound. It's going to be fun. It'll work. What's this week's so, top five? Well, I guess before we get to this week's top five, uh, the Killers are disqualified, I guess, from next week's top five because we're reviewing them. So that'd be weird. So they're automatically ruled out, right? But they they're not the, a fictional band. Do you mean the actual but, fictional band or Brandon Flares and Co? <laughs> yeah. Why not? Oh, hold on. Maybe we haven't thought through the top five. <laughs> <laughs> it's patreon.com slash if you want to help this show thrive and survive. But for now, it's this week's top five. It's time to get all sad, Craig. What approach did you take? These are songs that yeah, make I've you cry. Yeah, I've been tricked. Now, I've been tricked here, in, Dave. <laughs> in fairness, I feel like, you know, it, it could be a song that made you cry once, you know? It could be a memory that you hold with a song that makes you cry. It could be one that you can't listen to without bawling your eyes out crying. Yeah, I, I realised um, quite early on that there's very different types of crying. Um, I ended up kind of categorising different types of crying. What I came up with was like a musical compendium of human misery. Um, I agree. I didn't want to put too many kind of restraints on it. Initially, I was thinking a lot of like story songs go for the kind of cheap shock value. You know, oh, this this is a really sad ending. I'm going to wring a few tears out of you. Um, so I avoided some of the schmaltzy ones of those, but um, there's some also lyrical kind of storytelling heavy hitters here. So yeah, um, my top five has has kind of one for every mood of <laughs> crying. Well, I kick us off, Dave. Yeah, actually, before you do, sorry, just to follow up on something earlier on, because I just saw this on Twitter, there's yet more in the vein of can a music venue hold 50 people in it? Uh, oh, yeah, go on. This is beginning to melt my brain. Uh, it's mostly what was already said, but there's a thing where the government have advised it is possible that musical performances can take place in a theatre subject to compliance with all broader public health guidance. A theatre for these purposes would be a seated auditorium with a stage used primarily or exclusively for the presentation of drama, which kind of goes in line with what Vinny was saying earlier on, that they still haven't fully you know, made it clear one way or the other for just, you know, your standard, well, we do all sorts of things. But look, listen, there's no use crying over spilled governmental mixed messaging. There is use crying over this top five. Craig, kick us off. 
Okay, so my number five is an example of not just a song that you put on as like, okay, so I'm already crying, I'm emotional, I need a soundtrack. Um, I don't know if you'd go to this song for that. This is a song you put on when you're not that upset, but it will just render you <laughs> tearful and in abject misery. And it's a wonderful thing. Here it is. Gonna tell him all I can about the band. Feeling free. If he tells me all he knows about the way his river flows, I dance about. Yeah, Nick Drake with Riverman and the three of us all awkwardly looking around the rooms on Zoom <laughs> as that clip played. Uh, taken from 1969's Five Leaves, Leaves Left and, uh, sorry, I'll say that again, Five Leaves Left. Get it together, the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a mess. The guitar, the voice. Uh, yeah, Nick Drake had kind of access to like this deep well of human sadness, clearly right. And then with the strings, you can kind of forget about it. So this was like... um a kind of teenage tearjerker for me. Um, it's uh, The thing is, lyrically, it's not even really like, it's not quite sadness. It's like this emotion that no other artist really kind of stirs me. I think he's a little bit slept on, to be honest. Um, a weird situation where I'd got in, into him in kind of my early th- teens, just off my own back and like reading stuff and him being like this cult artist. I was on holidays in um, Portugal, uh, at my aunt's place uh, it was like a wider kind of family thing there was loads of people there I was controlling the music and I was just kind of like playing tunes it was late in the evening uh, it was kind of in that like deep meaningful part of the evening and I stuck on Riverman and my mom, who happened to be in the room was just like is that Nick Drake? I haven't heard him in 30 years and it turned out <laughs> he was like a massive fan of Nick Drake which is crazy because he sold like such a limited amount of albums he wasn't that big when she was listening um but yeah i will say i think i get my more depressive tendencies from my mother clearly but also her good taste in music whereas my dad was just like happy as larry rocking out to led zeppelin all right i mean i i i'm happy that that this top five is unlocking this (laughs) familial breakdown if you want to go further like I'm, i'm all for it you know are you a Nick Drake fan? It's all of his all I of his music just me. It's like yeah. It's I'm I'm not very well I'm not very well versed, which is why I was able to survive the onslaught of that clip there. And I was I just grabbed the sparkling water and I just was like yeah, it's all good, man. I'll Even the this. time signature he uses, it's like um. It's like five four, and it's just even that has an inherent sadness, and I don't know why. It's like a very Did early you... Elliot Smith. Like Elliot Smith well, was that... kind of lurking around there for me. He's in that that wheelhouse for me. When you were getting these clips together, and I don't know how you go about the cutdowns for yourself, but like I tend to like try and find a particularly good thirty to forty seconds yeah. or whatever that will work. Did you cry at any at like like even doing the exercise of like re-listening and like did you have any tears this week or were you just like nah man I've moved on I'm cool now? There was only t- this one and one other um, had me kind of like a bit teary eyed just as a weird. It didn't really make me that sad, but there was a physical reaction because I hadn't heard this in so long that it just put me back in that place. So yeah, this was one that kind of hit me quite hard. And yeah, it's only number five. I'm an one, one that hit me quite hard last year, late last year, the first time I heard this song, 
it resulted in me uh, shedding a few tears before the song was even over. So here's my number five. So tell me, did you settle down? Did you find another girl? I don't think of you so much these days. Still, I hope I'm prettier than her. Nothing can corrupt me now of that. I am sure when I lick the salt from my fingertips, I never thirst for some thing. That's Morning, taken from the album Bath Time, the choice nominated prize album, Bath Time, by Maya Sophia, former guest of the show, friend of the show, terrific musician, and uh, I believe actually I saw Maya recently was awarded like a a fairly substantial arts grant, which is great, because I want more music, we all do, Um, terrific performer. Uh, did some interesting stuff over the summer, actually, with regards to, like, I think she's like doing one of those Courage shows and so on. If you're not familiar with Maya's work, I think that that gives you a good example of it. Incredibly atmospheric, just drenched in sorrow and sadness and kind yeah. of solemn reverie. Um, I said earlier on about Hamilton Lighthouse or like Conor O'Burst. These guys have lived many lives. I mean, I don't know, man, but like Maya strikes me as someone that could be like 500 years of age. An old soul. Yeah, yeah. But no, but as if like, there's just something like about her where it's like you could almost imagine her like singing songs in the fucking 17th century or something. There's just something really kind of built into what she does. A lot of it for work as well, like kind of takes from a historical context and kind of repurposes it as well. And there's also something kind of like, I guess, I don't know, like almost aquatic about her work. Like like a lot of her songs feel like they're associated with the sea and just these, these kind of tales of peril or something. She's an incredible storyteller. And this song, Morning, it was just the basic sentiment that got me. I mean, like the first time I heard it through, I just fucking collapsed. I was like, Jesus Christ, it's managed to just reach into, into my heart, Craig, and give it a good old squeeze. It's a, it's, it's a great love song. I mean, it's, it's, you said timeless there. It's, it's based on a timeless theme, but the idea of moving on from somebody and winning yourself back and rebuilding yourself, but also, you know, having those little kind of touches where you're like, uh, even though I don't really care about you, I hope I'm prettier than that girl that you're with now and that kind of stuff. And just like those ideas of like, just those little kind of knives that I think we create for ourselves. And even when we have or have not moved on, we've never really moved on, have we now? You know? We have not. I remember you um, saying to Maya, just like the, the impact that had on you. Uh, <laughs> you made like, me cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a nice moment. You phrased it really well. But it's like, even that can be a bit of a choker, admitting that to an artist kind of thing. I think we've both been there at various occasions where you, various occasions where you tell like an artist how much something meant to you. And it's, I think it's worth saying. It's always worth saying. But uh, it's, they, it's, they often don't know how to react. And in of terms, course. Yeah. Of course. Because it's a weird person being like, yeah, listen, man, you made me get really emotional. And they're like, oh, cheers. Thanks. I mean, like, if anyone ever says anything to us about like, oh, the podcast is great. I'm yeah. always like Wayne Rooney in a post-match interview, scratching my arm or calling Enjoying my podcast. Like, oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. You're just like looking around the room. You know, I don't know what to fucking say because criticism is so much easier to hear. And I'm so, I know what to do with that. But yeah, uh, Maya, if you're listening... Thanks again for uh, shattering my soul with this wonderful piece of music. Well, Dave, you can pick all the new music you like, but I'm going back to 1969. There's one thing I know 
Breaking out the big guns, yeah? Yeah. Getting a bit choked up just hearing that clip, mate. Uh, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head by Burt Bacharach and Hal David on words. Um, singer there being BJ Thomas. I like pretty much every version. It's a really good Manic Street Preachers uh, version as well from the mid-90s. It was the first song they did after Richie um, disappeared. And so that's also a massive choker. I think what I like most about this is like it's kind of, you know, all about the dumb optimism <laughs> Um, which is central to how this can either like uplift you if you're in the right mood or completely destroy you. It's the kind of stiff upper lip thing uh, I definitely vibe with. So it rattles me every time. And it's totally linked to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid visually, all that kind of stuff. Um, So just huge kind of nostalgia gives you those pangs. It has the nursery rhyme quality that so much of Backrack's work has. I could have picked a bunch of his songs. Um, This is the one that I have the kind of visceral reaction to it's in no way schmaltzy i don't think it's like really well written the lyrics gorgeous but from this i can see why kind of schmaltzy stuff works for other people um it's just like such a visceral thing um are you a, a new man or a redford guy speaking of bush cassidy and the sundance kid it's paul newman mate every day of the week you kidding yeah. me 100 percent and um, all the more reason why you should be saying that, because I, I learned this week that the board of 20th Century Fox did not appreciate the song in the film, and neither did Robert Redford, who noted, <laughs> who noted that rain was not falling in the scene where the music played, oh, which of course is, yeah, that scene with the bicycle, uh, infamous one, um, totally great. But yeah, I love this. Uh, it's, it's so, so good. It's Let's gorgeous. move on, because that took a lot out of me. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, here's a cheat code at number four for me. You uh, holding up okay over there, Craig? Arrowing, mate. <laughs> <laughs> that is Lovely Max choice. Richter. And the track is On the Nature of Daylight from 2004. Yeah. Uh, extensively used in cinema and lots of different pop culture things. Uh, you may have heard it in Shutter Island, in which Leonardo DiCaprio plays the same character that he does in Inception. Or you may have heard it, and it may have absolutely reduced you to a quivering mess, like it did me in the film Arrival. Yes. Uh, which I've talked about quite, <laughs> uh, quite a bit on no Popcorn. <laughs> but fuck me, its usage in Arrival is just earth shattering and i remember like seeing that in the cinema and in drada my beloved drada and being in the back row like this is like a family a few seats down from me and i was just like i need you guys to leave i can't get out of this chair i am a mess i am absolutely like tears everywhere Uh, it's just a gorgeous piece of music so wonderfully composed reminds me as well uh, also of a cinematic nature when i was young too young much too young to see the film platoon uh, which uses adagio for strings when spoiler alert willem defoe's heroic elias character is brutally gunned down by tom berenger's evil sergeant burns and he runs through the jungle and you think he's gonna make it and adagio for strings comes in and i remember just absolutely having my heart broken 
uh, by that piece of music. I think this is kind of reminiscent of that wonderful kind of orchestral thing. It's just fucking beautiful. Uh, with regards to Arrival, though, um, its usage in the film disqualified Arrival from being nominated for Best Score at the Oscars um, because the Academy, the branch of the Academy rules unanimously that voters will be influenced by the use of borrowed material in determining the value of Johan Johansson's original contributions to Denis Villeneuve's Alien Invasion Psychodrama. Per Rule 15.2e of the Eligibility Guidelines, a score, quote, shall not be eligible if it has been diluted by the use of pre-existing music or it has been diminished in impact by the predominant use of songs or any music not composed specifically for the film by the submitting composer. Um, a source yeah. for Paramount said that the original compositions constitute 86% of the soundtrack, but there was no appeals process. Branch's decision on those matters was final. I think an exception should have been made, man. Totally should have. Um, the Academy gets so many things wrong. They're actually kind of getting quite nuanced. I can see the logic there overall, do you know what I mean? Like, that seems quite on point for them. You know, it's all relative, but um, you know what did win the Oscar for Best Original Song? Raindrops keep falling in my head. <laughs> well, there you go. I guess one last thing on, uh, on on The Nature of Daylight, which, again, yeah. just breaks my heart even without the context, but it's it's been used in so many different things, including the 35th anniversary of EastEnders? <laughs> like, what the fuck? No, thank you. <laughs> oh my Disqualify God. <laughs> that. It doesn't get much more harrowing than that. Um, That's horrendous. That's absolutely horrendous. Fucking hell. All right. Um, my next choice is, uh, it's a story song. It's a kind of storyline worthy maybe of EastEnders. And my shoes untied. I am crying in the bathroom. Yeah, Sufjan Stevens, Casimir Pulaski Day almost didn't make it because it felt too emotional and too obvious, but it was parachuted in. Um, kind of last minute or last day um also because i was initially like no sad stories because it's a, maybe a slight cheat you might end up with like some hokum like you know cats in the cradle or something like that but uh Sufjan would never cheat us we're counting on this guy and if you forget the you know terminal illness in the song even the banjo plucking is enough to kind of do it for me i don't know how he does it he's a magician he's like a magical elf like being um interviewed him before as well and he was everything you could kind of hope for just really humble self-deprecating uh sensitive soul um so yeah this was a definite pick in the end it could have been any number of songs again futile devices was kind of roaming around in my head but i think actually that's a different category and a different top five it's songs where a performance of it has the performer more or less in tears and that sets you off so you might want to seek that out it's a really good one um, but yeah, it's a it's a masterpiece. This song, it's just like the lyrical content's incredible. It's the little details, isn't it? It's like a lot to unpack. It's all about loss, and then the kind of the loss of faith that comes with that. And you know, we all have bad years, and I think this is one that's like end of year, like taking stock, late night. I don't know, finishing off a bottle, and you get to that like, and he takes and he takes and he takes bit, and it's just. It's heavy, so I don't know. It's, you kind of just ruefully smile, wipe the tears away, and carry on. Not to get all 
Brexit on it. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> uh, friend of the show, Royal Yellow, made me a Suffian Stevens primer a while ago. Because I, I do know Suffian, but I don't know him as well as yeah. some people do. Not as intimately as many do. And I must confess, uh, I am still a bit scared to dive in. You know, yeah. it's like, oh my he's God. He's a lot of stuff. He's, he's right up there for me. I think he's unparalleled. His, new, his newer kind of releases are really exciting as well. Looking forward to his proper comeback. Okay, uh, number three for me is an act that I'm not that crazy on, um, but, you know, have their moments, and this is certainly one of them. Yep, it's everyone's favourite kind of turn of the tens glitch pop friendly outfit, Passion Pit. And the Mm. song is called Where We Belong. It's the closing track on their second album, Gossamer. Passion Pit, of course, is pretty much primarily the project of a guy by the name of Michael Angelakos, uh, who has been incredibly frank in discussing his struggles over the years with mental health. When he was 18, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. This song references, um, trigger warning here, references a suicide attempt that he made uh, when he was young. And he talked about how he and he referenced it in the song he like he envisioned the angel gabriel lifting him up out of the bathtub that he was in and he was quite young when this happened he basically like walked himself to a hospital to be seen after this had happened Jesus. he said uh, i waited for four hours there my coat had blood seeping through it and i was passing it on the floor the employees finally realized what was wrong with me and said why didn't you tell us what was happening i didn't tell them because i was embarrassed and i think that is one of those kind of incredibly conflicting and complex emotions that some people have suffered in their lives um that you can relate to and there's an awful lot in the song that I just found to be incredibly touching and honest and I remember reviewing this album back in like 2012 for Hot Press and this was the song that stopped me in its tracks and I'm, I'm pretty sure I would have played it for you as well and been like this song is actually yeah, fucking next this. level there's more to this one than just like you know here's and like listen I don't I don't even mind Passion Pit I think that they're fine and I enjoyed the breakout singles and that last record he put out in 2017 has some really good stuff on it too um, I can understand why his style and his kind of vocal style and, and the manner of it all could be a bit off-putting but there is kind of diamonds in the rough I think uh, the lines there come at the end of the song it builds that kind of cathartic end point and he says never did I think I'd be lifted to the widest clouds. Never did I ever think I'd find out all the things I found. It's hard to keep on living when your heart weighs about a million pounds. All I ever wanted was to be happy and make you proud. And it's just like, I just found myself so swept away by that. And like, I think at the time when I reviewed it, I said something like, the closing moments of the song, um, find him like discovering that maybe there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but not one that he's 100% sure that he deserves to find. And I go, I go back on that eight years later and I find myself being like, mm, I mean, like when I wrote that, the way I wrote it and what I was feeling about it meant a certain kind of thing. And I wonder if not about getting it right or getting it wrong, but like, I think it's, I think it's very, very hard to try and jump into the mind frame of someone who's in that kind of position. Like I had a fucking therapy session today, like about three hours before we were recording and I found myself bottling up during it and talking about some very heavy stuff. And then by the end of it, 
you know, like feeling a different kind of release. And I kind of opened it by talking about how like I've, I've had days and I've had days recently uh, in my life where I've been extremely low, um, as low as I've been for a long time. And thankfully in the last few weeks, it's lifted a little bit, but I do find myself, um, I find that like when I talk about it and if I say to someone, whether it's a close friend or whether it's my therapist or whoever, if I, if I find myself saying the words, I'm feeling a bit better, there's a part of me that doesn't want to admit it. There's a part yeah, of me yeah, that yeah. feels, it feels like I've lost something by admitting it or something. I, it feels like I've, like I'm betraying some part of myself, even though it's the part of myself that causes me the most pain or at least certainly lives with the most pain. And I think that that's all over this song. And I think even like the anecdote, which I know is incredibly heavy and, and dark at the start of this, I think it speaks to it. I think the idea of like, you know, we're so much more complex than we might give ourselves credit for on some days of the week. And on other days of the week, we're, we're barely fucking, you know, we're, we're messes and we collide into each other and, you know, we hurt each, we hurt ourselves and we hurt other people and we don't mean to. And deep down, I think that hopefully we all want the best for ourselves, but it can be so hard. And a song like this just makes me fuck, it just takes me to those places, but takes me to the places of like hopeful release and the idea of, you know, whether it's a fucking angel in the form of this song or whether it's like the ability to do it yourself. I don't know, to just try and like find a reason keep on going and I think even like that last line of the song all I ever want was to be happy and make you proud that's I think there's like a million fucking layers to that as well and I love how he grounds it I love I love the fact that this song is so over the top like the cover of the album itself is like bedecked in this kind of a wash with this like really fluorescent pink and it kind of the whole idea I don't know about the idea of it but the whole kind of imagery that it conjures up is this kind of otherworldly euphoric thing and I think the fact that he manages to blend those colors together with such incredible honesty, which I know can be off-putting for many. I don't know. I mean, like like I say, it's it's that next level thing that sometimes comes along and just absolutely fucking knocks you out. Yeah. Um, catharsis is totally the word. Well said. Um, and actually, this is my therapy, I guess. Um, and the next choice of mine ties in very nicely with your choice because it is um, Robbie Williams' Angels. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Adam seems to have subbed in um, one of my alts. Um, that's Strange. my bloody Valentine. Sometimes uh, fine, it'll do, I guess. Um, <laughs> this is this is me back in my kind of inscrutable bag. So no real story here. It's like um, yeah, it is. It's a disorientating song. Uh, it's a wonderful song um, from a wonderful album. One of my favorite of all time, Loveless. I had a weird relationship with this song over the years where. As a teenager, it really impacted me greatly. I remember just listening to it on constant repeat for like maybe hours, uh, just kind of lying in bed. And then I reached a point with it where I don't know what happened, but I lost some like frequency that I was tapping into with it and it didn't affect me whatsoever for about like two or three years. Every time I listened to it, I was like, I don't even know if this is a good song. I'm not getting anything emotionally from it. And then I found my way back to it. I don't know what was going on. I think it's something to do with the magical composition of it. You've got that wistful acoustic guitar kind of clinging on to a tsunami of fuzzy electricity. Um, 
it's great. Yeah, I saw a comment online that said this song makes the Smashing Pumpkins sound like a rip-off band, which is very harsh on the Smashing Pumpkins, but I know kind of what they're saying. It does like vibrate the very atoms of your being and like liquefies them. Um, and yeah, it's it's not Robbie Williams. Um, <laughs> maybe it's like the musical equivalent of Robin Williams giving you that hug and being like, it's not your fault. Like it's very comforting as a song for me. It's it's more of a gentle sob for for reasons unknown. Um, to start the killer's bingo card early. <laughs> that's that's up next, is it? <laughs> <laughs> so that's my number two. This is my favorite MBV song. Uh, it's it's yeah. an absolute masterpiece. It's everything that the band are. You know, it's every fucking piece of alchemy that they weave together so well. It's just incredible, and it is transcendent. It does take you somewhere else, and like in the best way that music can. So, yeah, nice one, man. As for me, up next, um, a song that I don't know about you. You were standing next to me at the time, but I saw this live. <laughs> I'm always year- standing next to you, Dave. <laughs> don't forget <laughs> <Nice>. that. <laughs> Forever in my heart, Craig. Uh, yeah, I saw this live last year at, 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 a, at, a, at a weird thing that they call a gig. And uh, the tears, the tears did flow. That is inevitably the Antlers and Epilogue, the closing track off the album Hospice, a concept album that tells the story of a relationship between a hospice worker and a female patient suffering from terminal bone cancer, their ensuing romance and their slow downward spiral as a result of the woman's traumas, fears and disease as a metaphor for an abusive relationship. Now that might sound to you, listener, as the most horrendous experience ever. Why would you ever want to listen to this album? Or a great want... night out with Dave and Craig. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say, and I, I, and I believe uh, I believe Higgs is with us as well. He was, yeah. Um, in that in that roasting hot red room of the Sugar Club about, at this stage, what, like 14, 15 months ago. Can you describe the atmosphere in there that night? It was heavy, man. We couldn't get seats, um, so we were kind of standing in the aisle for the duration I was wearing many layers of clothes as well, which I didn't take off for quite a while. And it was, yeah, it was like one of those reverential things, really, wasn't it? It was, um, there was plenty of chokers. Um, I suspected the antlers would pop up somewhere in these lists and with very good reason, because, wow, so powerful. It's incredible. Like, it is just so strong. And being in that room, so they did like an acoustic performance of of the album from start to finish and again you could hear a fucking pin drop it was just so beautiful um it's just this is obviously the tail end of the thing and it's it's all gone where you think it will go but there's just like i think it's the line that gets me is um where i don't i don't work there at the hospital they had to let me go mm. you're just like fuck <laughs> it's like christ and just like all the, le- the the levels of storytelling in it as well it's so strong it's so evocative it's an obvious choice for a top five but i find it very hard to throw it on 
and not come away from it feeling something. And it's funny because even like during the week, um, Andrea Cleary, friend of the show, did throw it out on Twitter and I was like, you had to do it, didn't you? I think Kabina <laughs> threw it out before as well and I was like, oh, you had to do it. It's like it's like in case of emergency break glass, you're just like, yeah. throw this on and watch the room melt away. But beautiful though, beautiful in its way, even if it is so about good. a metaphor for an emotionally abusive relationship. But um, uh, A lot know. of appearances um, of bone cancer as well in our list, so um, that would have been an unfortunate bingo card. Um, will I move on to my number one? I think you better... All right. Okay. So my number one was always my number one. I uh, couldn't have been in another song. It's a bit of a family heirloom, uh, big part of my life, kind of. A lot of immense songwriters uh, plucking the heartstrings uh, on these lists, but somehow the croak of this man for me is better than them all. What I'm doing, staying far behind without you. You're going to make me wonder what I'm saying. You're gonna make me give myself a good talking to I look for you in old Honolulu, San Francisco, Rastabula You're gonna have to leave me now, I know But I see you in the sky above And the tall grass and the ones I love You're gonna make me lonesome when you yeah, go Yeah, Bob Dylan, um, you're gonna make me lonesome when you go From Blood on the Tracks And the whole album does a number on me uh, it's achingly beautiful, uh, pit of your stomach stuff. Uh, if You See Her, Say Hello is another one that I, I could have picked just for the musical composition of it. But this song is one that um, my mom's side of the family, they're all kind of big into music. A lot of them play guitars, some of them are musicians. And her older brother would play this song a lot around the kind of the, the family home. And she used to talk about how when their dad passed away many, many years ago, when they were very young, um, this was the first song that my uncle Jack played just when he finally picked up the guitar again in the sitting room. Um, so I heard that and I already loved the song and I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. And then since then, there's been um, passings in the family as there is in every family. Um, he lost a brother. And again, this was like, you know, we we're all in the house and this was the song he started playing. So it's just... It's it's a heavy one, but it's such a beautiful song. And it's got that like deceptively carefree strum. It's almost like a jauntiness to it. I think it's one of his best vocals. And yeah, it's an interesting album because Dylan, um, as always, says it's not about him. And it's like based on, like people always say it's about his divorce, but he says it's based on a bunch of Chekhov stories. I think this song in particular is about a love affair, but lyrically it just goes to a place where it's it feels about loss. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of a weird chronicling of like his life as well and the people he's loved. It's in the same territory as like a Beatles in my life kind of thing. Um, or a welcome to my life. Now that's a tearjerker. Yeah. I mean, listen, what can I say? All I can do, Craig, is counter your wondrous number one with the new Dylan.
just got a uh, Zoom notification there saying your connection is unstable. Yeah, no fucking, fucking joke there, joke. Chief. <laughs> no kidding, pal. Listen, I'll see that you next is... week, all right? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> My name is Dave Hanrowdy. This has been the Encore. <laughs> That's Kanye West and Streetlights of 808 and Heartbreak. I considered St. Pablo for this. Um, what song? Because Oh, sorry, St. Pablo, uh, not... Uh, yeah, Pablo, well, in terms yeah, of yeah, yeah. The, life, like, the Life of Pablo, I mean, you brought up like family stuff there. The Life of Pablo, I, I remember listening to that kind of, I think it was the day it came out at my uncle's funeral a few years ago, and like mm. it was such a weird juxtaposition, although tracks like Ultra Light Beam certainly helped. St. Pablo, of course, wasn't on the album at that point. It was added video game patch style about two or three weeks later. Yeah. And Sampha's fucking vocals on that song, any Sampha song really could qualify for this list, um, really, really got me. Uh, but no, Streetlights is the one that I come back to. I think it is my favourite Kanye West song. It definitely is. Off my favourite album. Uh, the genius kind of intro to this song says, one of the most emotionally distressing tracks off an already depression-focused album, Kanye iterates the repetitiveness of life and its petty affairs and even the monotony of time and destiny itself. Now, here's the thing, right? I don't really get that from this. I, I actually do get a hopeful vibe from it. I think this is Kanye at his most like vulnerable, his most naive, his most kind of looking the world is towering over him as opposed to the him you know, being like the the monster that he can be. Uh it's him at his most kind of human, I think. And it's very simple. It's a very simple song. It's like under four minutes, it's only a couple of verses and, you know, kind of an intro outro really. But there's just such a uh, I don't know, there's an incredible honesty to it, a real woundedness about him. And this is the Kanye I fell in love with, you know, like beyond the fucking, like the ridiculous quotes and the, like the, the crazy fucking looks that he would come out with, or even just the intensity of some of the tracks off Yeezus and the unstoppable bulletproof nature of him when he is at his best. I really do connect with the kind of, the childlike version of him, you know, that kind of thing of just like, being lost in the world and not knowing where you're going, but also yeah. like, even like, you know, that line, you know, like I hopped in the cab and I paid my fare. See, I know my destination, but I'm just not there. I mean, you can go glass half empty, glass half full if you want to. I get something really quite positive from it. I just like the yeah, idea I that agree. Like, he's, he's figuring it out as we all are. And I think ultimately like when people, you know, come down hard on him and don't get me wrong guy makes it difficult and often gives people reason to unfortunately increase in times but at the same time there is a human being in there who just wants to be fucking loved and who among us cannot relate to it and i've cried listen to this song both when i've been feeling incredibly uh alone and i've cried listen to the song when i feel like i'm kind of on the rise and i think that that's the beautiful part of it so streetlights Kanye west fucking incredible oh good yeah like i think there is a real purpose to this song i uh, i agree i think there is some hope there even if he's not quite sure of himself and yeah he he does this to me on a lot of stuff jesus as you say is like so overblown and i think he's taken that to extremes hold my liquor always does it for me maybe it's the mike dean fade out guitar but like even a song where he's talking about like someone's auntie being a like skinny bitch with no shoulders i'm still like god damn it Kanye, you're pouring your heart out and i'm in bits um so yeah when he's when he's on form bulletproof as you say and yeah this is a great choice we now is not the time to start arguing over what is objectively the best Kanye west album but as a mood piece 808 is phenomenal uh so influential created drake i don't know how how you feel about that but um yeah such a powerful <laughs> album and choice 
Good call. I don't know. You got to have, you know, you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs, I suppose. So. <laughs> but yeah, no, it is my favorite candy album. I think it's magnificent. And I'm going to go and listen to it tonight. But uh, also bulletproof, of course, is our beloved Sonic architect, Adam Shanahan, who engineered this episode Yay. and all of the episodes that we do. So thank you, Good my dorm. friend. Uh, in the other listening corner, Craig, I am... Um, Shelled out twelve entire euro to watch Lancome's gig there last weekend. They did their good, Abbey yeah. Theatre show. It's called a National Disgrace. It was fucking excellent. So it was a full on show uh, in the Abbey Theatre with kind of skits and stuff here and there. Like you're being taken around the venue. Got kind of Twin Peaksy at one stage, but just they're one of the few acts I think that as a collective force can make an empty arena show watched on a fucking television in your room through your laptop work it was magnificent uh, a lot of work went into it and it seems like a lot of people tuned in and really enjoyed it and got something from it as a matter of fact um i guess in line with what we've been talking about and the emotional wellspring that we found ourselves uh in front of today andrea cleary already mentioned co-host of Nine Nine podcast music journalist and good friend of ours she wrote a review of it for the Journal of Music and the closing paragraph of it really fucking got me today. So I'm going oh, to read yeah. that out now. I'm going to be self-indulgent. Yeah. I'm going to read that. Uh, she says, Though viewed through our screens from home, a community found itself online throughout the performance. The hashtag and national disgrace trended in Ireland for the duration of the stream, flooded with smartphone photos of televisions and laptops, some watching with family and friends, others watching alone. Before the show, I texted with a friend, another music journalist, pretending to decide on a spot near the Abbey to meet for a drink, promising to see each other at the bar during intermission. I don't know when we will have these kinds of conversations again, but it was nice to pretend for an evening to be humoured in our longing for real-life honest-to-God culture with friends. And that just fucking broke me, because I was like, for all the crowing I've done about not missing gigs and, you know, fuck festivals... I desperately miss those moments, man. I know yeah, that we totally. all do. And I really, really wanted that. Like, I was like, that would just be the greatest thing right now. Can you imagine it? Like, just sneaking out during a song and, like, seeing your friend hugging them. So, yeah, yeah. that really, really, really hit me hard. I thought it was a beautiful sentiment. And it I came was from wondering, a show that was very, I was thinking, very, this very, is the self indulgence of Dave to read out uh, something written Someone by Someone else's word, yeah. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, he's the, he's the other journalist. So he's mentioning it. We're I all presume the you other are. Journalists, <laughs> We're all the other journalists. That's not the point. Uh, also, in the listening corner, yeah. uh, I, I gave that Biffy Clyro album a celebration of endings one listen. I saw some people saying stuff like, oh, this is why they're so good. They just keep mixing it up. And I was like, just sounds like another Biffy album to me, mate. Uh, I have also heard the incoming uh, Pillow Queens album. It's out September 25th. I've given it a couple of spins. I'll hold off on my full report, but I'm enjoying what I'm hearing. Uh, Father John Misty put out two new songs that sounded like yeah. Father John Misty songs. Uh, there's I think also- they're interesting. They're just just in purely in terms of like, I think we get some like relationship updates from them. I'm, I'm worried about them. Oh, really? <laughs> Sorry, go on. I don't know. Okay. Just like it's kind of a continuation from um, God's favorite customer, but now he doesn't really believe in God, and he's not the loved up man he used to be. I don't know. Anyway, uh, dropping the day of this podcast, it might actually be in the evening. I'm not sure if that's just the video or the song itself, but uh, God knows has arranged a cavalcade of stars for the East Coast All Stars remix of Who's Asking, a song that came out a few months ago. It's fucking amazing. It's got God knows Mango, Nilo, Scripta, and Rebel Phoenix on it. And everyone needs to check it out. It's absolutely brilliant. And I guess lastly, um, there's a song called Even Sad Birds Sing, which I guess makes a lot of sense considering what we've been uh, talking about on this show today. Uh, it's a it's a song by Karen. They're a sister duo, but our good friend Kabina 
did the remix of it, which is that oh, cool. now. And it's excellent. It's kind of perfect for like, again, the moment we're in this kind of hazy end of the summer that wasn't really a summer. And it does evoke the emotions. Um, Kabina, of course, for anyone who doesn't know his work, absolutely brilliant. And I know that on Twitter a little while ago, he did post up something to the effect of considering packing it all in. I know mm. he's had some personal issues and and that kind of stuff but ultimately uh sean if you're listening don't pack it in mate you're too fucking good at what you do yeah he's wonderful the world needs your fucking tunes but that is a great song also by the way craig as of recording this blonde has just turned four. Oh, four years we fucking hell we were doing the <laughs> podcast we actually reviewed it <laughs> great Crazy, album huh? Very, very good album. Um, can't wait to hear the new singles on my record player. Um, what have I been listening to? Uh, the new James Vincent McMorrow song is is very good. Um, it's a Kenny Beats production, so it's, it, it's called I Should Go. It's like a bouncy summertime thing. I think like it's one of those weird ones where if we were out and about and like if you could go out with your mates and like have a bit of a nightlife, this would be ideal. But as it is, it's like... Oh man, I just wish we could enjoy this during a normal summer. But it's definitely worth it, worth checking out, as most of the stuff is. Um, Phoenix dropped a new song, Dave. Have you heard it yet? No, because it's on that Sofia Coppola movie. <laughs> so you're just boycotting it because Sofia oh, yeah, Coppola? Yeah. I, you know, I, I, well, like, Thomas Mars is married to her, so maybe you should boycott Phoenix full stop. <laughs> well, That's they, how you feel. They broke our friend Colin Regan's heart by cancelling that mine. gig. And, and all mine. of ours, yeah, yeah, and my sister, yeah, like Jesus Christ, that was a roller coaster. I was going You're to the gig on. that day, then it wasn't on. Uh, I do love them though. It's called Identical. It's it's a Phoenix song that's quite good, so you know it's quite good. Um, but yeah, that's me. Let's wrap it up, Dave. I'm spent. And that's the show, mate. I'm spent <laughs> as well. I'm going to go listen to some tunes in the shower, crying. So here's the thing, right? I might Next join the you. show. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're locked down in Kildare. You can't. Damn it. Uh, One next day. week on the show, the killers will be reviewed and we'll be talking about best. I mean, like, I guess the top five fictional, like fictional acts, fictional bands. Are we saying like best and worst or does it matter? Like, is it just what? Most noteworthy. The ones we want to talk about. Um, let's have fun with it. How about that? Let's have fun with it. That's pretty good. Okay. Patreon.com slash no encore. My name is Dave Hanratty. His name is Craig Fitzpatrick. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. Back next week. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Competition never waits. Take your gear on the go with a custom pack built to protect it. Because any place can be an arena. Game on. The Tumi Esports Capsule. Available on Tumi.com and select Tumi stores. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.